Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome back to the one and only Cavs the Podcast. Featuring commentary from all of your favorite Cavs the Blog bloggers. Oh my goodness, welcome to Cavs the Podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and this is a double, double your Chris podcast on a Sunday night, uh, post-daylight savings time change. We all got an extra hour, so we got an extra hour to podcast, and that was the most exciting win in the garden for the Cavs since primetime LeBron era. I mean, are, are you guys going to disagree with that? Oh, hell no. Are you kidding me? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm in disbelief back. right now. <laughs> <laughs> they're kind of back. I mean, they're back in terms of the Cavs are fun and they're playing competitive basketball, and it's been great. And, and the insane thing is, is we just – we don't even know what the ceiling on this team is. Like, they just keep – exceeding our expectations of of and i know uh so first of all introductions um chris lyden is joining us on Cavs a podcast for the first time he uh you may know him as uh at Levelander on uh twitter uh long time Cavs the blog follower commenter listener hopefully um and then yes, chris yes. huh Oh, yeah, I was just saying long-time reader as well uh, of the blog. Absolutely. And uh, Chris Francis uh, also joining us. Uh, So it's it's it's, – instead of this uh, podcast being 50% Korean as it often is, uh, it's going to be 66% Chris. So so I'm super psyched. So uh, Chris Leiden and I were talking before the podcast – like, I don't know what the ceiling on this team is. They just keep exceeding expectations and they, I, I don't know. I, this is insane. I've never seen a game like that. A 31-year-old player, Ricky Rubio, had literally the best regular season game of his career uh, in Madison Square Garden tonight. Uh, you want to take us through the box score, Chris Francis? Yeah, I mean, we have Ricky Rubio with 37 points, 10 assists on 13 of 19 shooting from the field, 8 from 9 from three-point range. Uh, and the Cavs posted a 133-point or 134.4 offensive rating while he was on the court. Uh, then we got Evan Mobley, 26, 9, and 5. Uh, on 11 and 15 shooting, two for four from three, and a plus 35 point, the 35.1 net rating, uh, to lead the, to lead all the guys. So, uh, uh, absolutely insane numbers. And they did it on both ends, at least, uh, you know, especially in that third quarter. Uh, they went to another level defensively and offensively. 
Uh, they outscored the Knicks 33 to 18 in that third quarter and 37 34 in the fourth quarter. So just a unbelievable second half performance. Yeah, and let's take you through Ricky Rubio's night was just uh, so before the game ended, he was eight of eight from three, which anybody who's watched Ricky Rubio in their career knows that, you know, th- prolific three point shooter is not in his resume. Clearly been a much more willing shooter this year. A uh, really streaky start off really hot and then basically didn't hit a field goal for two games. But I don't think anybody saw an eight for eight night coming from him. Just he was scorching. He was so on fire tonight. It's almost like it's part of his role as, and this is going to be a little cheesy, but either way, like his role as a leader in the team has shown up in terms of big performances on the court. And and I think we saw that again tonight where he just kind of got hot. They were hanging with him. Once they got to the third quarter, they were using some, you know, pretty deep lineups. I think I saw some pretty wacky uh, stuff going on there when I think they had Stevens out there for a run. And he just kind of said, okay, well, we're a little bit short. I'm just going to keep tossing them. And uh, the basketball gods were were happy for, for Rubio tonight, that's for sure. I mean, he does seem like he's shooting much more of a set shot this year. And, you know, he's really worked on this, the catch and shoot. But he's getting into his shooting motion really quickly and keeping the ball high, which is something that Colin Sexton has struggled with this year. Uh, getting a new shooting motion quickly and 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 keeping it up and Ricky never seems to drop it below the upper chest when he sets to shoot and I think that's helping him a ton. Um, and, but he shot some off the off the fading to his left tonight, off the bounce, um, catch and shoot, just everything he was shooting was going in. I mean, it was it was phenomenal. Yeah. What well, remind? Yeah, what it reminded me of was his Olympic performance against Team USA, um, yes. where he put up, uh, I think, 38 against basically an all-NBA team by himself uh, is what it really reminded me of. And I think he's honestly, I think he's riding that kind of momentum of that has to give you a ton of confidence. I mean, like tearing up uh, all-NBA guys for 38 points in the Olympics on a big stage. Uh, I think that I think he's... Uh, riding some confidence from that. For sure. For sure. Um, sorry. I got everybody is like blowing up my phone right now. <laughs> I, I got, I got Pestak <laughs> blowing up my phone, Elijah Kim blowing up my phone. It's crazy. Um, yeah, Tom, Tom said, he goes, I love the top gun slam on the brakes and fly right by, uh, three point shot number eight by Ricky Rubio. <laughs> which was which was very timely and you know just going back to the game uh the score coming out of halftime was the Cavs were down two right yes uh, or one uh one yeah yeah 57 56 I believe was the halftime score and then uh the Cavs kind of blew it up in the third quarter and, you know, as the Knicks are wont to do, we saw a very engaged Tom Thibodeau uh, start off the fourth and was screaming, was very hoarse by the time, uh, <laughs> by the time the game ended, was very angry. But man, the Knicks were just up in their grills, getting all the calls. You know, they were half fouling guys every single time they tried to drive. And it looked like, one of those games where the Cavs, you know, had a nice first three quarters and then 
the other team was going to put on the clamps and then the Cavs were going to fold. And one of the things that really scared me was the fact that the Cavs weren't setting very good ball screens and it was certainly helping the Knicks pressure because all the pressure was on Rubio and Garland to handle the ball correctly. Uh, and I think the fact that they shared the court a lot helped them because, you know, you, whoever the weaker defender uh, was guarding could bring the ball up. But pretty much the Cavs just put the ball in Ricky Rubio's hands and let him win that game. Um, and it was crazy. And then, of course, you know, Evan Mobley made great play after great play. Uh, what did you see from Evan Mobley and, you know, throughout the game, but especially the fourth quarter, uh, Chris uh, Lydon? <laughs> Evan Mobley um, continues to just be very surprising. And uh, I thought he'd be pretty good. But I don't think that he could translate this much of his defensive game, like day one, walking out onto an NBA court and looking exactly like the guy that I saw on tape. And, you know, I, it's just, it's very difficult to have uh, imagined that he could pull that off. And very few rookies can, right? He's, that's part of what makes him so different. And, and one thing I want to say really quickly about Mobley, too, since we're talking about screens, um, obviously he's not putting any weight into guys. His center of gravity is so high, right? He's so thin. His hips are like not in the right place at all. But I think the quick slip screen is still kind of working because I think he still is going to bring help defense from that side when he's when he's moving. And I don't think our guards are necessarily the kind of guys that are constantly requiring huge screen actions anyways, right? So Yeah, Ricky is not fast anymore, but his change of direction is still very quick. Um and that helps him beat guys off the dribble a lot. He can shift his weight a lot faster than his defenders most of the time. And, you know, I did see Mobley do a really good job of getting his hip into a guy in one of the later possessions for a screen. But the other thing that, like you said, this makes the slip so dangerous is when teams trap the pick and roll like they did the last three or so possessions, uh, you know, before the game was while the game was still in doubt, I guess I should say, uh, Evan Mobley, short roll guy on in a three on two scenario is going to make the right read every time, it seems. And he was absolutely uh, Chris that's Francis. A, yeah, no, that's exactly where I was going to go was that uh, the thing that stands out about Mobley's performance tonight was five assists. Uh, assist ratio of 22.7 on 20% usage. So I think what we saw tonight was the blossoming of his total game as a playmaker. Um, as you said, he was taking that pass from the pick and roll and he was making great decision after great decision. Uh, normally it meant a dump off, a really easy dump off uh, for a dunk for Jared Allen is what it usually resulted in <laughs> coming down the stretch, which is a great shot to get, you know, Allen dunks, you'll take that all day. So, uh, you know, Mobley's passing was absolutely amazing. Also, I got to give a shout out to his three point shooting. I mean, oh, he's shooting threes. in general. Yeah, the two, exactly. He showed some mid range touch. He showed the three ball, um, and they were clutch. They were clutch uh, shots. They were shots that the Cavs needed to stem runs to uh, put runs together to keep uh, the lead uh, near double digits is what they were able to do is, and kind of milk the game away that way. It was really a, just an amazingly solid uh, second half where they were expertly, you know, running down the clock and getting timely buckets. 
And that's another thing too with him. Um, something I've noticed, and this is crazy to even think that I'm going to talk about how he's improved <laughs> over the season so far, right? He's, he came in at such a high floor. So I'm already seeing some improvement. And one of the things I think the team had been struggling with is, um, you know, that old set where, you know, the initiated action a lot of times would get fed into love, like not even in, you know, getting ready to take it to the basket. He'd be like out by the elbow, right? Just to give the guards a little bit extra time to move around. It's something that they've done forever. And they were doing it with Mobley and he sort of didn't know what to do with it earlier in the season. He'd catch it. The guy would be right up on top of him. The defenders were playing him really close. Uh, he would stand there and then kind of pass it back out. It wasn't flowing super well until tonight, I thought. And tonight, I thought it flowed really well. And he even turned it around, took some jumpers from around that 15, 10-foot range, uh, and drove to the basket a few times. And uh, Andy continues to get fouls. Like, he's getting foul calls as a rookie. No, it's really amazing. One of the things that I saw tonight, one of the things I loved is... I don't know. I think it was Noel. I can't remember who was guarding him out on the right wing, but he was doing some aggressive swing throughs with his hands and his elbows, basically to back that pressure off. And it was fast and aggressive. And that was not the kind of ball security and confidence with his moves that we saw earlier in the season. And the other thing that I'm just amazed by him is his ability when he gets into a spin or a back down to cover space with one step. I haven't seen a guy use long strides the way that he does probably since Giannis came in the league. I mean, just a guy that with two steps can be from the free throw line or from the three point line to the basket with just two really long strides. And honestly, his footwork is so much better than like a rookie Giannis was that he is the sky's the limit. I mean, the amazing thing is, is he adds new skills every game, which we're talking about. The other thing that he does is that he seems to get rid of mistakes every game and he doesn't even have an NBA body yet. And he's putting up a 28, nine and five night against a second round playoff team. It's unbelievable. At 20 years old. At 20, <laughs> At 20 years old. 20 yeah. years old. <laughs> yeah. And with that, we will be right back. I'm blown away by what we're seeing from the Cavs so far. Welcome back to Cavs the Podcast. I, I had to cut Chris Francis <laughs> off because he was like, he was going, he was gushing. And I'm like, no, 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 save it. Save it for when the mic's on. So hot mic there, Chris. Tell us, yes. tell us what you were thinking. Um, they tried everybody. It yeah. And they put really... some wings on him too. Yeah. Yeah. They... Welcome back to Cavs the Podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and I'm here with a double dose of Chris here, uh, Chris Lydon and Chris Francis. And, you know, at the break, I had to shut down Chris Francis and be like, hey, 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 save it when the mic's hot. So, Chris, <laughs> just wanted to – what, were you going to piggyback on some stuff we were saying? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, – I thought both of you had great points about um, – uh, Chris Lydon was talking about how he was processing the game, uh, how Mobley was processing the game on the wing, being able to make the right decision either through the pass or through the attack off the dribble or through the mid-range pull-up. He was just making the right decision over and over. And and what you had mentioned with um, Julius Randle's defense, I mean, the Knicks were playing some tough, hard-nosed defense for a lot of period of time in this game to try and get back in. They weren't given really the Cavs very much uh, uh, easy movement on the perimeter. And 
Mobley was able to withstand the pressure. You never saw him lose his cool. Uh, he was aggressive. As you said, he was doing the rip-throughs that were really aggressive and strong to create space for himself on the perimeter, um, to create an attack angle, to uh, attack off the dribble. So I, ju- I was just super impressed with the uh, – and I think what Chris was alluding to was just the growth, that there was something that he might not necessarily been so comfortable making – an offensive play there, but now you're starting to see his growth on the offensive end. He's starting to get his touches more, and, and it's just the Cavs are reaping the benefits right now. Yeah, I I was as much as Mobley is growing exponentially game to game. I, I feel like a lot of the other Cavs are just making incremental improvements that are really impressive. I <laughs> so full disclosure, we just we just recorded this segment and then realized I didn't have the record light on, so we're, we're rediscussing it. But I was just talking about how Dean Wade, you know, is three steal, three rebound, six points tonight, um, but gets a lot of people uh, thinking that they can take him off the dribble or take him in the post, and they underestimate him, and he tends to hold his own on defense and and did a really nice job of that again tonight. A bunch of deflections. You know, we talked about Chetty Osman had a bad shooting night, uh, 0-5, but had another chase down block, second game in a row. Uh, it, it wasn't as fun this time because Chris didn't interject all excitedly, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited about a different thing. I'm excited about another point, uh, with, with, uh, Dean Wade. It's something I've seen this season, uh, from really the whole team, but especially the guys that, that have typically struggled on defense. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to get a little spicy with this, but bear with me. I think that they have a little bit of a shift from having bad defenders playing, you know, good defense poorly to having them play fundamental, just basic defense. I see a lot of guys just staying in front of the ball, staying on the hip, right? Slipping screens, you're going to end up behind the guy because you're Garland and you're just not going to be crashing it that well, but you just stay with them. And I think Dean Wade benefits a lot from that this season. He's just staying in front of you and being big, especially now that he's filling that Laurie Markinen third giant man uh, role so well. Yeah, I I would say that, you know, the other thing, I can't remember which segment we said this in now, but, you know, Evan Mobley raises the floor on defense for that entire team. And it it just provides a comfort level. And a, not just Evan Mobley, also Jared Allen, you know, having that too big lineup, which we saw a lot at the beginning of the season last year with Larry Nance and Andre Drummond. But this, from an offensive standpoint, seems so much more sustainable. And from a contract standpoint, frankly. We- yeah, absolutely. And and another thing, too, with, with Mobley raising everybody, you know, he, when he's hassling somebody out on the perimeter, if you can get by him, which, you know, they occasionally do, you, you're not past him, right? He's not just standing there <laughs> watching you go. He is right behind you with those big strides, that insane length. He's got a, a really nice understanding of of how to play team defense and uh and yeah it's not just a a situation where he can get past you and that that helps with switches right it helps with with all the secondary actions they're doing from the elbow it's helping with their screens uh yeah i think that's the mechanism where he's really raising everybody up there and i don't know about you but i feel like he baits guys like i feel like he 
I, I don't know if he's doing it on purpose, but sometimes he has a bad defensive stance. And you're like, oh, this guy's going to try and take him off the dribble. And then you saw it with, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Dame Lillard the other night when he got him with the, for the block in the, oh, at the so end of the game. <laughs> I mean, I, I totally swear agree. he baits guys. He's like a, oh, yeah. he's like Deion Sanders. <laughs> Oh yeah, he he just I think he's laughing internally at the guys that are trying him. <laughs> yeah. Chetty Osman, Chetty Osman's night. Uh, I said it earlier when we were off the air. Um, he had a little bit of a, a slump on offense. He was really active on defense. He had a couple great deflections that really mattered uh, to make the guys reset. Um, but he's somebody who you know he's just kind of staying in front of guys. He's not. Being super, uh, you know, doing anything super flashy on on defense, but if he's going to be in the right spot, you know, just doing sort of the fundamentals on things, uh, it, it makes a huge difference uh, from from having to just task everybody to constantly be defending the paint behind guys that 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 are trying to to be too flashy on the outside. Like his, his game is simplified on that end, I think for sure. Yeah, and I think you know one of the things again I can't remember. Segment we said it in, but um, you know, JB Bickerstaff went to a nine-man rotation with Lamar Stevens getting about sixteen minutes, which helped cut Mobley and uh, Allen Allen's yeah. minutes down to yeah. around the thirty-five minute mark, which helped immensely with the fatigue. Uh, I think was a was a great adjustment. Um, yeah, I hundred percent agree. Yeah, the, I mean, it, it, it was uh, it was only a difference of three or four minutes, but it seemed to make a huge difference. Oh, for sure. I mean, and and I would say the other thing that I just love about, um, you know, one of the things is the Kevin Love and Laurie Markinen injuries. In some ways, may have been a blessing in disguise because it helped with the development of Wade, Windler, and Osman. And Mm -hmm. one of the things I love is, you know, it wasn't Chetty Osman's night, but uh, Dylan Windler came in and went three of four from downtown. Yeah. Yeah, Dean Wade was two of five. You'll take that every day of the week. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not, yeah, it's not lost on me that there's been this kind of like mini offensive explosion and it's coincided with the sightings of, you know, Dylan Windler and Dean Wade on the floor being able to spread it out, you know. And I think, uh, you know, you're absolutely correct. I mean, you know, I'm glad that they're getting minutes finally and showing what they showed in the preseason, quite frankly, is that they can be really dangerous offensively, you know, because they spread the floor and allow guys like Mobley and Darius Garland and Ricky Rubio. It's They've got now space to operate, you know. they got a way to get into the paint. And uh, you just love those three guys making decisions with the basketball in their hands. And you kind of expect love, or at least I did, but we all do. We all expect love to miss some games, right? <laughs> uh, what we've what we've gotten is we've gotten a love that's looked a lot better when he when he is in, uh, which makes a big difference. But you know, we expect him to to miss miss out. But especially now that they're doing this sort of you know marking in wing three bigs experiment, once Lori goes down as well. You know, that's a big issue because you don't have, you know, you'd have Dean Wade looking at being your backup four, right? And now he's in there in in all sorts of lineups. You're just deep enough down the bench. But we have guys that can do that. Like, we still have size and decent perimeter shooting um, in the whole front court. I think, you know, it's part of the reason why we have so many people (laughs) at that position on the roster anyhow. 
Yeah, and it's a little scary with Colin Sexton going down in the second quarter and, and missing the whole second half of how the guard rotation is going to shake out for the Cavs. And you just got to hope that it's not a serious injury for him. Um, you know, that's, I mean, that's the concern right now. I mean, that guy never misses a freaking game. And, you know, he, he left loathed. under his own power, though, right? Did he? Okay. That's, I think he walked back news. to the locker room. Oh, good. He did. I, mean, I, mean, I think he was actually on the bench for a, a second, too. I don't even think oh, he Oh, okay. Good. To good to hear. Because, I mean, that guy never, you know, you know that guy's loath to take a minute off. So I I, I, thought, I assumed it was going to be something serious. Yeah, I hope it's not. Yeah. Um, although one of the quotes I heard on Twitter tonight was that Ricky Rubio is stealing Colin's bag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You know, I mean, that- <laughs> I mean, there's, there's some talk about Rubio. You know, obviously he's going to give us, on, you know, the uh, the locker room stuff, the intangibles, the leadership, uh, being able to to fill the vintage deli spot of just being able to run an offense. But you know, if he plays really well, a lot of people have thought, well, you know, he'll play his way off. Like maybe he'll become a trade, you know, trade chip or something like that. Right? He's on. I think he's just on the one year. Correct. Yeah, he's. This yeah. is the last year of his current contract. But I wouldn't, you know, it, it's another, you know, sort of spicy direction. But yeah, when when you have somebody playing this well, and it's just one game uh, that he was, I, I wouldn't say it's just one from. game. He's been really good all year. Yeah, he has been really good all year. But I mean, this was obviously this was a career. Yeah, game yeah, for him. Uh, yeah. And so <laughs> a supernova yeah. of it, or in days past, we would call it a supernova of a game. It, no, it really was. There we go. <laughs> and, I, and I do think that the starting, you know, guard situation right now is sort of rhetorical because of the way the minutes have, have panned out. Um, but I, I, I think this is evidence toward the idea that you really can have three guards sharing minutes uh, on this team, as opposed to having sex and Garland somehow be appreciably, uh, more, uh, you know, used, uh, throughout the rotation. Oh, I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you. Uh, although, <laughs> um, we did not see my least favorite lineup, which, which I was told people never want to hear the name of again. Uh, <laughs> oh no. Oh no. <laughs> the sex Lubio lineup. There it is. There it <laughs> yes. is. Yes, but we did I can't not believe see, it's a thing. We did oh. not see it tonight, but it may have had something to do with uh, – or I didn't see it very much. Or I didn't notice it if it happened. But it may have had more to do with Colin Sexton's injury than anything. But Well, that's – yeah, that's – you know, I – that's an interesting point that you bring up about Rubio is because the data is coming back over and over again saying – that Rubio and Darius Garland should be the starting backcourt of this team. Like they are just absolutely bonkers together offensively. This team is an offensive juggernaut when those two guys are on the court. It's just, that's what's happened over the past 11 games. So it's just, you know, it's weird because we're still doing sex land, which is, awful still um to begin the season and uh you know here's just another data point and you get a career night from rubio so (laughs) you know it's just crazy it's just crazy and theoretically a little bit of time off for sexton if he's out for an injury certainly makes a convenient time to to try to experiment with bringing him off the bench i mean a lot of the fan base and at least a lot of my friends and people i interact with that watch a lot of Cavs basketball have been thinking about him 
as a really great sixth man, uh, you know, type of guy. His game just screams that, you know. Uh, but they obviously were really committed to him, and you know, there's all that marketing, and you know, there's all of that. I, I, it's not even necessarily worth getting into, but it's it, you know, it, I don't really care who's the quote starter, but you certainly want to use him where he can leverage some of that offense. And I don't think he's found his stride in that role quite yet uh, as being sort of a shake and bakes, you know, scorer, but I think he can, I think he can this season. Yeah. It's, it's real interesting. And I think what we're seeing from Rubio kind of mirrors what I talked about with Evan Mobley and that Evan Mobley raises the whole floor of the team on defense. Well, Rubio, when he is not, you know, over dribbling and trying to do too much, um, raises the floor of the whole team on offense. And one of the things that I talked about that Rubio does that has kind of been driving me nuts about Sexton this year is Rubio is shooting the shots that the offense gives him, whether or not he's hot or not. Like you saw it tonight at, uh, late in the second quarter when Rubio came off a pin down and just you know, drained a right elbow jumper uh, off the curl. And that's, you know, the way the Cavs are shooting their, running their offense now, it's not nearly as many mid-range jump shots. It's mostly at the rim or three-pointers. But that's the shot that's in the offense. And if he's open and he doesn't take that, it's, you're, you're, you're selling out the defense or you're letting the defense off the hook. And he just takes them whether or not he's going to make them or not. And, Sexton has been way too hesitant to fire away when he's open, and I think it's yes. been hurting the whole offensive flow. Um, I think he, I think they've been trying to move him off of the off of the mid range game, you know, which is an obvious strength of his. They're trying to get right. him to shoot more threes. He's got fewer minutes. He's got fewer ball handling responsibilities. Right, so it makes sense. It's going to take him a minute if he can do it. Yeah, and but and it, honestly, sorry, go ahead. I'm just saying, like, that's also what you lose. Like, you lose that strength of his. Um, but also, that strength of his didn't necessarily win us a ton of games. And that, I think that's, like, the larger zeitgeist argument about Sexton and Garland. Uh, for sure. And when we come back, um, we're going to talk a little bit more about what we think uh, this lineup might look like going forward. Um, you know, how good are the Knicks uh, and kind of look at the upcoming schedule a little bit. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs, the podcast. We all had to take a water break because our, our takes were so scorching. Um, <laughs> we were like Ricky Rubio's three point shooting on how, how, how uh, hot we were for this Cavs team. And, I love it. Yes. And one of the things that uh, Chris Lydon wanted to talk about, and I want to talk about it too. We all want to talk about it. Why is this team so good and is it sustainable? Why are they good? I mean, that is the question, right? I mean, so let me take it back to last season a little bit because I was in the position of trying to convince some friends and family to tune in and catch some games. I've watched every game of, of the miserable times and the good times for years. And I was trying to convince people. I, I, I think like, the only time that I missed was like significant stretches of games was the, the losing streak in the post LeBron, the first yeah, post LeBron era. That was absolutely rough. But I would tell people like, okay, Garland's like showing something like there's some special, there's something special there. Everybody would see the box score for Sexton, but there was so much noise around him. Right. And then I would, you know, especially late in the season, 
because we've had what five or six different seasons shoved into the last two seasons with COVID on top of that, right? It's just yep. been it's been a yep. very hectic it's been couple very of years weird. for this franchise. It has been, and you have you know you start the you start well, the and last with year one was team. the meat grinder season where you yes, you know right. you were running five right. games in a week. Yep. Absolutely, and one of the things that I saw big time, which we haven't quite seen again this year, but I started to see Okoro's uh, offensive light come on a little bit, even just as a backdoor cutter. I think that's sort of the first step where he started to get his confidence on that end. You know, like I, I started to see this kind of come together, and I, and I kept saying, man, if these guys were actually healthy, like if Love sticks around and can make it through a season. This is not going to be a terrible basketball team, and who knows who we're going to draft, so that could be a big thing. Well, we ended up drafting a guy who has been able to have an instant impact. So I think that's where you start the answer, which makes sense with Mobley, right? But then you look at where's the signal in all of this noise and what's noise. So just looking at the stats a little bit, uh, you know, we've had some really big performances in really close games against really good teams, mostly on the road, right? You get Chetty Osman uh, shooting really well for a night. I think there was that night. Did Windler have like, what was he like three out of four or three out of three or something? Uh, which night? Um, it would have been like uh, Portland. Okay. The Portland game. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think it was the Portland game, uh, but Windler's kind of for first run uh, where he got some minutes and got some shots off. Like the, those you can say are sort of noisy. Even a Ricky Rubio career night is sort of, you know, we've seen people have these random career nights. Like that can be kind of noisy. The things that are signal, I think, about what's been going on so far this year. One, no bad vibes. There do not seem to be bad vibes. And, you know, we don't know what the locker room is like. Nobody does, right, with the way the new protocols are. Yeah, this is not a 76er situation. No, no, it's not. <laughs> Zing. And, and, <laughs> but that's big, right? So there's there's a little bit to that. Um, Allen is back from after his, I, I would call it like post-concussion season last year, right? Yeah, his post-All-Star break malaise. Yes. Yes. Like there was a little bit before that where he was this special and he looks that special now and even more special. I don't think that's just random. I think he's that good. I think Mobley has been giving you what we've talked about for this whole podcast. I think that's signal. That's not noise. Um, and then even if you just start looking like, okay, let's just put those three together. Let's add Garland, not even with the improvements he's already shown, but just like stack like a Garland career average on top of those three dudes, right? You start building out from these larger samples and you don't end up with a 23 win team it's just that's just not what they look like they look like a 32 or 34 win team you know like if you start looking at how well these sort of what i consider to be these three foundation pieces mobley allen garland are looking you stack some of these other performances on top of it i think that's what we're seeing and, and they're not even healthy so that 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 blows my mind right like that that kind of skewers my whole thesis, because I could be talking about like, oh, well, they're playing three bigs. There's just bigs and smalls. It's this new weird thing. Other teams aren't used to it yet. Other teams are, are annoyed by it. But that's not even completely the case. We had a lot of minutes tonight from from pretty deep into the bench. Yeah, I, I will say I, I love all that. I also think some of this is situational. And and I don't want to say the Cavs got lucky um, be. You know, because everything is a mix. Luck is um, preparedness and action, 
You know what I mean? It's like luck. You make your own luck. I believe that. But one of the things is the rule changes. There may not be a team in the NBA that was helped by the enforcement changes (laughs) more than the Cavs. And, And there's a couple reasons for that. One, J.B. Bickerstaff is not a world-beating offensive coach. And the way the NBA has gotten the last few years, you have to beat teams with offense. You have to be a really, really good offensive executing team to be able to beat teams consistently. Well, the Cavs were not that team. I, I think their floor is better, obviously, than it was in years past. But you're allowed to play defense again. And it is so much easier to keep bigs out of foul trouble this year than it has been in the past. And a team that is built around a bunch of big men probably would not have survived the last two seasons just because they'd have all gotten in foul troubles on fake and flails on the uh, three-point line. I mean, I can just imagine how many times Laurie Markkinen would have flown past a dude and a guy just jumped sideways into him. It, yes. And, it and I has put a- changed the way the NBA is being played. I don't know about you guys. I find it infinitely more entertaining this season um, in terms of just the flow of the game. Uh, they get rid of the take foul, and I think on the fast break, I think it's the league is just headed in an absolutely great direction. But you were going to jump in wanna, there, Chris. Sorry. I, 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 no, no, no. It's fine. I wanted to let uh, Chris Francis give his take, but I want to put a big pin in the officiating thing because I, I have a follow-up theory on that as well. No, right on. Uh, no, I mean, I think for me, why the Cavs are good is, I mean, I think it's all of the above of what you're saying. The two things that stand out for me are, I think, Rubio. I think it kind of goes back to the point Nate made earlier about offensive floor and defensive floor. Because the two most important pieces, I think, that I, in what I wrote about in the preseason grades and everything was the two most important pieces were Rubio and Mobley. Getting those two guys... uh has been so successful. It's been beyond my imagination. I mean, Mobley is shaping up to be basically a superstar player. He's the next Kevin Garnett. He's the next Hall of Famer, a generational talent that's coming into the league. You know, you know the nickname I heard that I love. What what was the nickname? So I've I've been working on a nickname contest and maybe later in the, but uh, Slim Duncan Oh, there you yes, go. Well, yes, that's perfect. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the demeanor too. I love it. Yeah, it's uh, you know he's a generational Hall of Fame talent, and the Cavs got him, and uh, he's been he's living up to the hype. That's what's crazy is he's living up to the hype, and he's getting better. Um, and with Ricky Rubio, I think he's just brought a calmness to the backcourt that especially Darius Garland has fed off of. Even Colin Sexton, I'd say Colin Sexton, even though the numbers aren't there, his impact is better, uh, has been better this season, and it's been qualitatively better than years past, and it's because of Ricky Rubio. I think just having Rubio's steady presence and competitive spirit, that's the thing that uh, stood out to me. Uh, I was going to mention it earlier was uh, J.B. Bickerstaff talking about Ricky Rubio and talking about how Rubio, he started professional basketball at the age of like 13 or 14. Like he's been competing against grown men 
since he ever could play basketball in a league. I think he in, played in yeah. the Olympics at 17. Exactly. Yeah, he, signed, yeah. he signed his first contract at 16, but he was in like their farm system before. Yeah, that. he was in the farm system. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's what uh, Bickerstaff was referring to. But just Bickerstaff talks about how Rubio, you have to compete. That's the that's what Rubio is bringing to the table is Rubio will never stop competing. Rubio will never stop going after the opponent and attacking. And he had that diving. He dove for that loose ball last night or two nights ago against Toronto. One of the key plays in the game. It was just a hustle play that kept the Cavs in the game to make that comeback. Uh, just having a guy there that's unwilling to cede to the opponent and just keeps on coming. I think both. Garland and Sexton have really taken to that and their games have gone to another level because of Rubio. So that's, those are the two things that really stick out so far in the early going for me about the Cavs success. Yeah. I, I, I think something you said resonated with me, you know, who's the most important guy in your offense. It's your point guard. Who's the most important guy in your defense. It's your center. (laughs) Well, the Cavs made huge upgrades. Um, now they have now they can play two point guards at once and they can play two centers at once. <laughs> so <they laughs> right. on That's great. And on defense. I love that. Yes, you're absolutely right. That's 100% correct. They're doing it and it's successful. It's cr- well at least uh you know that's what's interesting about it is that one two of your be- your best offensive tandem is Rubio and Garland and your best defensive tandem is Allen and Mobley. That's, you know, and they're able to put them all four of them out there at the same time. So it's wild. And I don't know which, I don't know which assistant coach it was, but one of them was on a podcast or um, somebody mentioned at least a quote from them where they were talking about Bickerstaff considering players as being smalls or bigs, right? And he was like very binary about the thinking on that, which I imagine we have a lot of evidence that says that that's probably an organizational philosophy to some extent as well. And that certainly could have led to this idea of putting in Markinen over Okoro at the three, right? So like we're, we're seeing exactly what you're talking about, where you've got power forward slash centers and you've got two guards out on the floor. Oh, yeah. And I think the other thing that you're seeing, you know, one of the things that may be noise is how poorly some of these teams are reacting to the zone. Uh, when the Cavs go to this uh, two-three or three-two zone, and these bigs are just shutting guys down on the perimeter and kind of don't know the passing angles to attack it, and I was a lot of people in my feed on Twitter tonight were like, "Man, the Knicks are just terrible against this zone, and it doesn't look that hard to beat, and they have the shooters to beat it, but they're just not running sets to beat that." And I, you know, Miami runs a lot of zone too, and I believe they have the top defense in the NBA. Really? Oh, um, I wow, just, yeah, yeah. I just think the zone is is really flummoxing a lot of teams, and I think it's a mix of the zone and the new enforcement stuff, where it's just the size on the perimeter now is so much harder to overcome than it used to be. Well, that's a good that's a good way for me to jump back into the officiating, right? Because I've just been thinking so much about how I used to stay up really late and watch, or early even and watch Chetty Osman play international basketball in the offseason. I'm sure you guys have caught a little bit of this, too. A little bit, but not, <laughs> clearly looks, not to your level. So. <laughs> well, he looks like... He, I mean, well, you, you I, probably have a functional here. understanding of, tur- of uh, <laughs> Turkish at this point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know a couple of the swears and a couple of the... Uh, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, but he, he, he's, he's like... 
when you watch him in an international play, like he's like a super competent starting wing. Like he's a three, he's driving, he's facilitating. He's like a great secondary facilitator. You know, those, those things that we always wanted him to bring to the NBA, but he could never quite put it all together. Right. Like that's a thing that we've seen from him. And I think we obviously Rubio, we've talked about Olympics Rubio, right? He's coming in hot. We've watched him on the international stage. And and that's something that I think is is part of what's happening with the the Cavs this year. Three point shooting is way down, right? There has been some talk about the ball, the new Wilson ball. You, you mean around this. the league or in yeah, the- around the league, around the league, yeah? Because this new Wilson ball uh, is supposedly having something to do with it. It could be the rule changes around flailing and all of the non basketball moves at the perimeter that might be depressing. Ooh, I think some I know where this shots. is going, and I'm excited. Yes. And so you've got that aspect of it. You've got the refs allowing more physical play. What keeps happening to the USA you know, teams in the Olympics? They go in, and they're not used to the officiating down low. They're not used to how physical the international game is. So has we gotten. Have that's, has gotten, yeah. And, but, and so we've got these changes that have actually shifted you know, the NBA game a little bit toward international basketball even the basketball itself if you want to be if you want to do my best best act impression here and get a little conspiratorial like it's it, that ball is probably more similar to international ball like you've got guys like chetty and rubio that are not feeling these these changes as much as other people and i and i think that we're built to capitalize on some of those changes which i think are good i, I don't want to watch harden drawing fouls from the perimeter for 20 minutes it's it's like it's bad basketball to me personally. As uh, Evil Genius called him, the golden turd. <laughs> I love EG's. Oh, man. Yeah, that, that's that was a good it. memory. <laughs> I'd love to hear what you guys think, though, because I think that's a. I think they're benefiting from that change in the game. Oh, I'm, I'm excited to talk about this. So I'm, we got another break in this hour, so we're going to pause for a minute. And we'll be right back, and, and I'm going to go take some physical measurements of basketballs and, and tactile <laughs> grip and that kind of thing while we're out. So let me, get, let me call Molten up, and uh, we'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to Cavs of the Podcast. So I'm really interested in this ball theory from Chris. So what were you just saying? I've just seen it kicked around a little bit. So this is the Wilson. I think they just kind of got the contract again. Uh, from Spalding, who made the Correct. last ball. I don't know how long this, that that iteration of the Spalding ball was around, but it was. I mean, it was around since the '80s. Okay, wow. Okay, so a long time, right? And and the Wilson ball is not supposed to be super different, but I think it came up because people were seeing some some across the board regression in threes. Um, I think you can. There's a confounding variable in that, which is that players might be uh, less enthusiastic about shooting threes when their entire game is built around moving your left leg out four feet in front of you to try to draw a foul. And then you have to sort of adjust your game a little bit to no longer do that. So both of those things could be depressing it, but supposedly the balls like got a little bit of a deep, deeper groove to it. It's a little bit more textural. Um, and, and, and so like the sort of iconic uh, lines around the sphere are slightly deeper, which I think is the, uh, from my understanding, is the biggest difference between the Euro ball and the old Spalding ball. That That's super interesting. I, I tell you one person it is not hurting is Steph Curry. But you think about uh, yeah. the way he shoots where he gets a really high degree of spin on the ball, that 
those deeper groups probably don't hurt him in the least. Yeah, I think I think he could put like a couple balled up socks through the through the hoop from three <laughs> yeah. if, he, if he if he wanted to. Yeah, and speaking of guys that are shooting the ball really well all of a sudden, Darius Garland has when Darius Garland gets in isolation, that step back three that he can hit that sky ball, that is a ruthlessly effective weapon. For them, oh, I mean, we saw him bail out a couple possessions uh, in this game and the Portland game with that shot. And ooh, no, if, that, you, if that's you consistent, led, yeah, you led exactly where I was going, which was uh, we saw off the ball threes from Garland tonight with Rubio passes, some little catch and shoot action from Garland, and he made two of them uh, as daggers uh, in the end of the fourth quarter. So. Uh, I was, you know, I'm glad you brought him up because, uh, yeah, that three ball was deadly tonight. Absolutely deadly. So I loved it. Yeah. I mean, Garland the last two games has been phenomenal shooting and, you know, that port, the Toronto game was just, I mean, how is it that we've seen two of the funnest games that we've seen in the last you know, three years in the last two nights. I mean, the Rubio Huge game wins. tonight and then the game where the Cavs only led for four seconds of the game yet still won. They just beat two playoff teams on the road, you know? Yeah. Like, that's, that's I they, mean, I believe they played more now. games than any team in the league, too. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I mean, so that's the question you guys were asking earlier is, uh, do you guys think it's sustainable? It's tough. I mean, they have two days off in a row coming up here. I think. Uh, oh, finally, for the first time in a minute. Yeah, yeah. They, they get they get like, and a, then they have an extended homestand. Yeah, I, like this was supposed to be the part of the season that was ridiculous, right? I mean, there was talk about how unfair this road, you know, beginning of the season was. Even from like, if you listen to, like Wine and Gold Radio, like even the broadcast guys were sort of complaining about you know, how nuts of a, of a start to the season this was. And they made it through it. I mean, yeah, are they are they just going to blow through all of their effort at the very beginning and fade? You know, I, I don't I don't think so. It's, it's hard to imagine that with these guys. How about you, Nate? Um, I think so. The Cavs have a really weird um, four-game homestand coming up. Um, the Wizards, who are absolutely, you know, Absolutely look like a playoff team so far, six and three. Um, kind of similarly constructed as the Cavs, other than Beal, in that they kind of win and score by committee, um, mm-hmm, especially mm-hmm. with all those guys they got from the Lakers. Then they've got the Pistons, who are one and eight, hungry probably for more wins, but have have definitely struggled to close games. Then they have the I'm I don't think I've seen a home and home stand against. Uh, team to back-to-back Ever? home games <laughs> in Cleveland uh, where they play the four and six Celtics twice in a row, um, the 13th and, and 15th. And that, to me, I think that Celtics two-game series is going to say a lot about whether the Cavs are for real or not. Because if there's a team that they have to leapfrog to, you know, make the bottom end of the playoffs in the – in the East, you would think it would be the Celtics and, and probably the Wizards too. Those, those, those are the teams in that range. So I think that'll tell us a ton. Um, but I do think it's sustainable. 
provided two things. Evan Mobley keeps playing the way he's playing, and the Cavs uh, keep guys on sustainable minutes. Um, and, and the good thing that we're seeing is the Cavs are doing this without a Coro, Marketing, Love, and uh, tonight without Callan Sexton in the second half. So, and if we're seeing that stuff happening, it's definitely sustainable. So yeah. I'm just doing back. I'm just doing uh, back, back of the napkin math here. I, I think we're on a 51 win pace. That's insane right now. Yeah. Right. So I mean, <laughs> that, that, that's only 11 games, but I mean, you know, you're you're talking about uh, you're talking about that kind of pace. I, I, I it's very difficult to imagine that they would they would get to that point, right? Um, but I I don't know. I mean, there's not a lot of evidence for that, right? That's that's sort of my Cavs fan feeling is there's no possible way they could even get close to that. I mean, I've already talked about how I thought this could be a a, a 32, 33 win team pretty easily, but yeah, well, I mean, we I went we should through all enjoy and it. we did over unders at the beginning of the season. I believe the number was like 27, 28. It was in the high twenty six. Yeah, it was twenty six. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, did we all take the under too? No, I took the over, but I think the consensus with everybody that took the over was that it wasn't going to be much higher than that, you know? Right. Okay. Much like Chris was saying. Yeah. They haven't been favored to win a game yet on the Vegas line. (laughs) Which if you had been taking the the Cavs and the odds every game this season so far, you've made a lot of money. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Wow. Absolutely. I mean, just the odds to win outright. You've made a lot of money. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, and, you know, their schedule actually gets easier, which is crazy. Yeah, um, that's the thing to me. I think you're on the money there, Nate, as far as the next four games are really going to tell us something. And, and, and I think the what it's going to tell us is how hungry they are. I mean, this is a fantastic start, a dream start for the Cavs. But are they satisfied with this? You know, do they rest on their laurels, you know, and say, you know, this is a fantastic start. We can coast now or we've got some figured out or are they going to come out and say, we want more. We want to because, I mean, a way a killer instinct team would be thinking about this schedule. The next four, you said Washington, Detroit, Boston, Boston. They should be going four and oh. they, that that yeah. should be the attitude is that we're going to go four and oh and clean up on these bums. And we're going to, you know, really get people afraid of us, you know? And that's the question in my mind is how hungry are they to do more? You know, they're, they've done a lot. They've done more than I thought they could do. Um, but, uh, and, the, and they answered the question so far. Yes, they want more. Uh, so I think those four games that you mentioned are going to be really telling. And how healthy are they and how rested are they? Right. That's another that's gonna good be, point. That's no, going to be a big thing for the, for the next four. But I'll say this as well uh, to just uh, as a, a, a fan, like purely as a fan that's just so excited, drinking whiskey in his attic with his dog uh, after the game. <laughs> set, All right. Set the stage. Cheers. Cheers. Set the stage. <laughs> Not only will the next four games tell us something, the last four games have told us something. Which is that we can go on the road and beat playoff games or playoff teams, uh, right? Absolutely. You know, we've done it. So that's my little rah-rah and and it feels optimism. like you know sea changes are coming this year in the NBA. Um, Ooh, what do you? I, that's well, intriguing. I mean, you look at the teams that are 
And obviously the first 10 games aren't going to tell you everything, but a lot of the really good teams from last year are not in that elite category right now in the standings. You know, the Lakers are five and five. I believe the, um, Bucks are four and six, four and six, four and six. Yeah, exactly. And And Clippers four and four. Yeah. And then you see, you know, the Cavs with the way they're playing, um, the Knicks, uh, struggled, struggled to beat the Cavs tonight, uh, look like they have some holes. And I I mean, it's just, you don't know what the NBA season holds and what's going to happen is how long are these teams that are kind of out of the playoffs, uh, going to hold on to their players? You know, we're going to see, well, here's the other thing. Remember how the huge storyline before the season was around, um, Oh, who's the kid from uh, the Sixers? Oh, Simmons. Simmons. Ben, yeah, Simmons. ben Simmons. Yeah. That story's a total afterthought at this point. I know. Like, like if you're the Cavs, you don't want to touch that situation. You don't want to mess an, with the good vibes. That's an off-season story. That's an off-season story. We're in this season now. Yeah. yeah. yeah you and, and there's no way you want to trade for that guy with the way you're playing. <laughs> You've got vibes now. The the attitude and the 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 feeling in the locker room is just – exceeding all expectations and you know the one one of my favorite lines from bull durham you know classic sports movie never f with a streak you know when you're winning (laughs) don't screw it up (laughs) oh yes absolutely. if you you think you're winning because you're wearing ladies underwear then you're winning because you're wearing ladies underwear (laughs) uh winning just win baby that's what it comes down to well that's what's what's funny is just a little quick aside about that philly situation was uh now uh philly fans are having massive feelings of regret because Maury didn't pull the trigger on C.J. McCollum. That's how far they've fallen. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. They should have pulled the – what's ironic is they should have pulled the trigger on C.J. McCollum because he's playing better than Dame. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that funny? <laughs> Man, I'm looking at this, uh, I'm looking at this uh, record and I'm seeing four lessons and I'm seeing seven wins. That's perfect. Well, and the other thing is, is just how much the narrative has changed around the Cavs since the beginning of the season. I mean, there's been so much sniping about the Colin Sexton extension or not getting the extension. And, you know, is Colin Sexton a long-term fit with the Cavs? And nobody cares about that anymore because they're winning. And as John Madden said, winning is the greatest deodorant. Isn't it though? I mean, it's just, and the future with Evan Mobley as the Cavs best player looks unbelievably bright. I mean, Evan Mobley to me, I don't, nobody knows what his ceiling is. I mean, the amazing thing to me is how good he is without an NBA body right now. Oh yeah. I mean, he's, I think, I think you're spot on. I think he's going to be a first of his type. He's going to be the first of that seven foot center that can literally play like a guard. I, I think that's where it's headed. He's a total unicorn, which was the, you know, that was the, uh, you know, that was the dream, right? That he was the unicorn in the draft and it's working so far. It's unbelievable. Also, um, you know, Jaron Allen must have read my slander because he's making me eat crow night after night in the past three nights. Jeez. Yeah, he looks he looks really awesome on both sides of the ball. 
Yeah, it, it's super fun to watch. Um, you know, and I wouldn't say that Evan Mobley is the first of his kind. To me, he's almost a little bit of a throwback to these super coordinated, really tall guys like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Russell and nice. yeah, Will right, Chamberlain, right. just yeah. unbelievably coordinated for their size. I mean, and just, you know, we had gotten to this point where we had these really bulky plotting big men in the NBA for so long, and, and we haven't seen guys like that in a long time. And it's yes. really fun to see a return to that. And who knows what the yeah. future holds. There's a certain set of uh, big burly twins that were at one point going to be the future of uh, the front court in the NBA. And uh, look where we're at now, baby. And we're a trio down. of uh, <laughs> Spanish brothers. You know. yes. Right. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. And, and what's better, really, as a basketball fan uh, – than seeing the game continue to change. I think we've had a good run of the uh, three-point domination, but uh, I think we're ready for a little bit more action down low. Yeah, and in five, in six games, we get the 7-1 Warriors. <laughs> oh, boy. That's right. Oh. That's right, and then I'll, I'll, be, oh I'll either be eating crow or, uh, or elated beyond belief, yeah. depending on how that goes. So uh, we're going to take another break. And when we come back, we're going to wrap it up, uh, maybe give a couple of recommendations and look forward to the week ahead. And it should be fun. Welcome back to Cavs, a podcast. I'm Nate Smith and I'm here with Chris Francis and Chris Lydon, you know, maximum Chris podcast. Um, (laughs) We've got uh, (laughs) the awesome Cavs win in the garden tonight. Um, and we even even talked about anybody on the Knicks. I mean, nobody on the Knicks really blew me away tonight. I thought Randall, you know, his bully ball, it was fine. But there was nobody that really made me afraid on that Knicks team. Um, and maybe it's because nobody got hot. But, boy, I'd rather yeah, have I've... scorching hot Ricky Rubio than any of those guys. <laughs> well, I think I'll say one thing about the Knicks, or at least I'm, I'm plugged in with a couple of Knicks fans online. And uh, a curious decision by Tom Thibodeau uh, to not ride the hot hand of Obi Toppin. He looked pretty damn good tonight, and he really didn't get that much run. Um, one of the few players in positive plus minus, they're, ironically, their starters got destroyed tonight. Uh Randall, Rose, Mitrob, uh, Fournier, Barrett, they were all, uh, you know, crap in the bed tonight. Uh, oh, Barrett was terrible tonight. Oh, yeah. Brick and City. he's been, Brick he's been a bright spot for them. Yes, you're absolutely right. And just three of 13, zero to zero for six for three. I saw, I remember Evan Fournier flinching just at the mere presence of Mobley in the paint. It was glorious to see like guys are starting to see ghosts out there because of Mobley and Allen, you know, they're expecting uh, a contest when uh, one might not be coming all the time. So it's uh, fantastic, but uh, it was a curious decision. Obi top in only 11 minutes. He was four for four, three for three. He was getting to the line uh, and he was one of the few Knicks in positive plus minus. So don't get the decision, but I'll take it. Who cares? You know, that's their bad. And their problem. <laughs> yeah, it was either late in the third or early in the fourth when Tibbs started throwing bench guys out there to try to get a spark. Mm-hmm. And the only mm-hmm. guy that I thought was impressive was quickly. Um, but sure. he had played yep, some minutes already. Like 
Yeah, he had like 20 minutes, 12 points, uh, five assists, which was pretty big. Like he was kind of letting him up a little bit there, but the rest of the well, guys. And if you'll remember, he lit the Cavs up kind of from out of nowhere oh, last yeah. year. And he, stayed, oh, he yeah. really mm-hmm. built his reputation early last season against the Cavs. Indeed. <laughs> so, yes, sir. Some of, the, some of the Knicks were struggling a little bit on the offensive end. I actually think that the Knicks played really good defense uh, most of the game. And uh, the Cavs were just able to work over it. Well, and, and, I mean, you do not expect Ricky Rubio to go eight and nine. Like you play, if Ricky Rubio beats you one on one, hitting pull up, fading to his left Jays, you say, okay, good right. game and move on. I mean, <laughs> it's just, that's you know, true. that's the way the that NBA is, is. No, you're right. <laughs> they caught Ricky Ruder, Rubio on a career heater, too, you know. So, yeah, I agree with you, uh, Mr. Leiden. I don't think they played. And am I pronouncing your right last name correctly? You're absolutely correct. Okay, awesome. So, um, yeah, super, super fun game. I want uh, one scorching hot take from each of you uh, for news around the NBA. Obviously not the Cavs since we've we've talked them to death. Uh, Chris Francis, give me a scorching hot take around an NBA team right now. I mean, oh, man. I can I go first if you want because I got Yeah, one. Yeah, you got to give me a second here. Okay, yeah, so yeah. my prediction, the Boston Celtics will end up trading one or both of Jalen Brown. Whoa, or Jason wow. Um, okay. Okay, that's a starter. I, I think they're going to blow up that Celtics team just from everything I've seen so far. And honestly, you'd be right, right? I mean, they should, right? I, I think so. Well, and to me, if you look at a team like the Warriors – that don't want to blow up their team for, you know, Ben Simmons, which seems laughable at this point. You know, they're probably waiting for a guy like, um, oh, who's the really good Wizards guy? Beal. Beal. Bradley. Yeah. But then you, if you look at the Celtics and you say, hey, could we get a Jason Tatum come in and play the three for us and just absolutely light it up? And we'll give you Andrew Wiggins. And, oh, look at all these really good young players we have. Like, if you're the Celtics, you really have to think about that if what you've got working isn't working. What you've got on your roster right now isn't working. That is so spicy. That is spicy as hell, my brother. (laughs) 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 I'm I'm dead serious. I mean, it's unfathomable. It's just unfathomable last this offseason. You know what I mean? It's just been an unfathomable thing that's become a question now, right? You know? Yeah, it's so funny how fast, 10 games in, and it's already looking like Maury completely misplayed the Simmons situation. Should have moved him when he could have got a guy. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's looking like... You know, some of these guys that had a ton of value before the season started and, and whose teams are really struggling, like, it's going to be just really interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. Um, what about e- either either of the Chris's got a scorching hot NBA take? If you need a minute, Mr. Francis, I'll take this one with... Uh, After you. <laughs> the Pelicans give up on Zion Williams this season. They trade him? Wow. I'm not sure. I think, yeah. Zion Williamson? Yeah, Williams. I said Williams. Yes, Williamson. Um, I'm I'm frantically reading through his contract, and I'm frantically reading through their stats. And there's going to be problems here. Heads are going to roll 
down there, I think. Uh, he, early Griff doesn't season. make it through the season, does he? No, 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 no. There's no way. They're one and nine. He's injured. He's big. Uh, he's bigger than he's supposed to be. Uh, they have not done anything. They're 15th in the Western Conference right now. Again, it's early in the season. Um, I, I think there's going to be a very strange situation that's going to come out of that with a Pelican. So the scorching hot take is that um, if they let anybody involved with this front office stick around long enough, they'll try to throw a Hail Mary uh, and and do something insane. But uh, they'll probably get fired. They'll probably bring in people that will just wait this thing out. But uh, what a disaster that has been. You know, it's unfortunate, but it's 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 been a real disaster. No, I mean, Griff has drafted abysmally. Um, I, I honestly think, like, the Cavs had a lot of interest in Josh Hart. Like, I think the Cavs could pick him up at midseason if they wanted him, but I'm not sure I do. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's going to be so many teams that, well, that's the weird thing about the NBA right now in that there's, you know, the top 10 teams have a shot at the playoffs. Who gets blown up is going to be really interesting because you know it's coming. Some of these teams, just the way they're put together, do not seem sustainable. So, Yeah, the, I guess I'll say I, I was going to go. I see where you guys are headed. So I feel like the hottest take would be about the Lakers, but I'm just going to zag actually go with my gut here. Uh, the Sacramento Kings are legit. That's what that's the hot take that I got right Ooh, now. That's good. The Sacramento Kings, they they look good. They all of a sudden are playing defense now. Davian Mitchell is a game changer. I don't understand it, but it's happening. So, uh, you know, and also I'd say that I wonder if they're going to move Fox. That's that's the one thing that I think might happen. Uh, the that De'Aaron Fox is actually available and that they'll move him uh, for another piece. That I think that's that might be a guy that moves this uh, this uh, um, in you know b- before the trade deadline. Fox for Tatum. Ooh, <laughs> Ooh. yeah. Well, the the other reason that Sacktown is so good is my Bowling Green Falcon that plays for that team. Um. Oh, who's their center? Oh, Rashawn Holmes. <laughs> Rashawn Holmes. He's say he's Bowling Green. Yeah, he was Bowling Green. He's a second round no pick. Way. I wanted the Cavs to get him really bad the year that he came oh, out. Yeah, he's man, a Falcon. He's balling. I love Pride of the Firelands. Oh man, that's awesome. He's he's balling. He's balling out of man. There's he is a float. He's a floater wizard. Good God! <laughs> like every time he shoots a floater in the paint, it's going in. It's crazy. Yeah, that's I'm super out of my fun. element. I'm out of my element talking about the NBA at large because I don't catch as many games as I want to. But I did catch a Kings game this season, and and I I think your take is not is not too far off. I mean, look, you've got the the Nuggets and the and the Jazz ahead of them as two as just to take two teams in the Western Conference. The Jazz are perennial regular season all stars, right? Um, I'm not sure the Nuggets can really pull it out. Um, and that puts the Kings like up into like the top four. You know, it gives them a good seed heading into the playoffs. I could see them uh, doing something there. Ooh. Ooh. Here's the other question Has the East eclipsed the West overall? 
I'd say yes. Two eleven games they have. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'd say yes. I'd say yes. I mean, the Cavs are sitting at sixth with a seven and four record. Yeah, it's insane. (laughs) Well, Mr. Francis, where would they be with that record if they were in the Western Conference? They would be fourth, I believe. It'd be fourth. Yeah, I mean, it's it's only eleven games, but yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right. So, and again, it goes back to it goes back to just the fact that there is difference early in this season, right? There is some different stuff happening. And I think that that's exciting for a fan of any of these teams and especially NBA fans at large. Yeah. Did you, oh, I'll you guys... say this is the most exciting start to a season I, oh, I can yeah. remember in a long time. And obviously, you know, the year LeBron came back, but this is different. You know, I read one great thing is about being a fan of the team on the rise is the most fun because the losses don't have the pressure of, you know, you're expected to win a championship. Right. And the wins are just new and exciting. It's it's super fun. Oh, the blissfulness of no expectations. Oh, yeah, exactly. I've, I've never been there. I've never been a fan of Team on the Rise, right? I've been a Cavs fan for a, a long time. I was a Celtics fan when I was a little kid. Cause I yeah, yeah me too. Time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so, yeah, I was, I was born in Boston. I lived in Boston and Hartford uh, until I was in middle school. And, I yeah, I, I got to catch, like, the, the very tail end of, like, the really dope, you know, uh, Larry Bird wave. Of yeah, Celtics. same oh, for yeah. me because I grew up in Alaska. And so the yeah. Celtics were on all the time. And then I became a Cavs fan actually because – they traded like half their team to the Cavs and all my favorite players. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Reggie Williams. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And then we've had like, there was a little bit of a, of a good run there from the Cavs around that same time. Right. And then we've well, had, that's like, also when look, they got a guy from Akron. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Right. And then we, and then we get into the feast or famine years. Right. Um, yeah, and right. this is this this isn't looking like a feast or a famine year. This is looking like a a, a horn a of plenty. A horn of plenty. <laughs> <laughs> Tis the season. Look at look at you yeah, in the holiday spirit, Nate. That's perfect. <laughs> oh yeah, that's the funny thing. My daughter is just every time a Christmas thing comes on, or she goes to the store, and she's like, "It's not even." December. It's not even Thanksgiving. This is turkey season, not Christmas season. That's right. Holidays. That's right. Too, too funny. Yep. That's right. She is totally 100% correct. So give me a prediction about the next six Cavs games. Um, you know, four-game homestand and then the Nets and the Warriors. Ooh. I mean, realistically, it's What do you probably... most want to see? Other I mean, than guys should... getting healthy. I'd like to see, I mean, for me, I'd like to see Windler and Wade stay in the rotation, first of all. If the other guys come back healthy, that's great. I want to see those guys still out there because they're providing something on offense that seems like it's working right now. Um, secondly, uh, I mean, my hot take is about the our own Cavs is, um, do we see a change in the lineups? We're getting to that point where they said 15 games in, you know, they'd start reevaluating. Do we see something like Rubio starting in the starting lineup? Do we see Sexton move to the bench? Do we see Okoro possibly? I don't know. You know, it seems less likely just because of his My injury, answer but... is if they're winning, no to all those questions. Because yeah, of course. You don't mess so, with it when you're winning. <laughs> I know. You're totally right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, yeah, that's that's what I'll be watching is if there is any changes. Yeah. And I, I think if they, if they go three and three. 
uh, through those next six games. I'm assuming that Sexton will maybe miss like a game. I'm I'm, I'm going to play doctor and just hope that he just has a bruise. Maybe he'll miss one. Um, but you know, we get a Coro back. I think I can't prognosticate about uh, when Love and and uh, Marketing are going to come back. But if we if we can kind of keep this run up at 500 for the next six games, I think that'll show that uh, that there might be some. Uh, potential to, to try to stretch out some of these wins love looks like he's itching to come back he was live tweeting the whole game <laughs> oh was he almost, yeah. was he? almost forgot oh, he man. Was on the team yeah oh man i love it I, love has been uh i and love he's has been the consummate great. pro so far this year he has and he's played great uh you know he hasn't been shooting the ball well but he was rebounding like a, a mother and you know some nifty little passes and stuff like that. He was and, playing and really well. His defense has actually been really solid. Absolutely, I totally agree. I mean, totally at least agree. rotationally, and least you know, reading offensive coverages, and you know, obviously he's going to get out athleticized at times. But yeah, it's mm-hmm. been solid. He's just a rebounding savant. Like he uses his body so freaking well. Like it, for a man that cannot jump, <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> he's like he's like the the white Zach Randolph. Yeah, that, there you go. That is, I love it. I love well, No, is Zach action. Randolph was much stronger than Kevin Love, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the black Kevin Love. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, um, it, Chris, did you go? Did you get to go? Yeah, I mean, I I'm both Chris. Sorry, yeah, I keep doing that. Um, so yeah, uh, wrapping up. Anything to pitch this week? I I will pitch. Uh, Founders Christmas Kentucky Breakfast Stout is a phenomenal beer um, that I had last night on tap at the Lizard right now. Now I gotta I gotta pull it up in my pictures here. It is uh, Founders Cinnamon Vanilla Cocoa. Um, it's twelve percent. Uh, it comes with cinnamon and sugar on the rim when you when you get it. Uh, it is a breakfast stout that is aged in a Kentucky bourbon barrel. Um, and then it is just phenomenal. It is, it is a, a taste of the holidays and everything you love about sugar and cinnamon and cocoa and vanilla in, <laughs> in a beer. And it will also, uh, put you on the floor if you drink more than one. So. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Uh, I'll, I'll do my pitch real quick, uh, in the spirit, in Nate spirit, jam up the mash. I'm drinking it again. Uh, dry hop sour by a Canadian brewery, uh, is fantastic. Should what's be the, available. what's the brewery? Collective, collective arts. Oh, okay. Is I believe the brewery. I, I have seen so. their beers. Yes. Uh, oh yeah. Cause, oh yeah. You're just right across the lake. I forgot about that. <laughs> Duh. Oh my God. Sorry. So, yeah, yeah. So, our Canadian friends just north of the border, cheers to you guys. Yeah. Who, who lost a game that you'd won for 59 minutes and 56 seconds. <laughs> oh, that is, or no, yeah, I guess that would be 47 minutes em. and 50, 56 you seconds. got That's right. Urgh. What about you, Mr. Lydon? Anything to pitch well, this week? Very briefly, I've been drinking Bell's Lighthearted Ale. Oh, I do love me I some Lighthearted. Is, yeah, I think it's probably the best light beer around, so... I'll sneak that in since you guys both had beer themes, but that's quite, that's not quite enough to fill my whole pitch because I want to make a quick pitch for your Cleveland charge. We're going to be Ooh, having nice. games at, at Concrete State University. 
Uh, <laughs> and it's, and it's going to be, you know, I think the Cavs have a lot of good players on that If team. they don't do Taco Tuesday promos, they don't know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> well, it's a bit of a bummer. It's a bit of a bummer to have the team move to Cleveland. I understand how oh, I'm, you know, I'm construction wrecked. has happened. Yeah, I do think that that's a bummer. But I, I will say to, to all my homies in Cleveland, uh, you've got a great opportunity to go see really good basketball at uh, – and and they and should take advantage of that for sure. There have been a ton of great players and coaches come out of the G League, and that will only keep going. So it will, yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, awesome, awesome pitch. I love it. Um, and we will see you guys Tuesday night. No, Wednesday night. Two for- two nights off. Two nights off. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. Two nights. Oh, wow. Here we are. Yeah. And as always, go Cavs. Go Cavs. Go Cavs. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.